come with me on an exploration of self-discovery. On this podcast, we decipher what really matters as we unravel the chaos of day-to-day work to learn how to build an essential life. I've been thinking about your life. I've been thinking about how easy it is to feel lost in the midst of all the busyness. How easy it is to feel like we're languishing after a year and a half of all that has been required of us, of all of the uncertainty and adaptation. And I can think of nothing more important in such moments than coming back to not just what's essential, but why it matters. To renew our clarity in why we think what matters matters so much. So I reached out to my friend, Simon Sinek, and asked him to be on the What's Essential podcast today so that we can reflect on not just what matters, but why. Let's get to it. I am here today with Simon Sinek. He sort of needs no introduction, really. Uh, I sort of imagine that anybody listening to the What's Essential podcast is at least familiar with Simon's work. You know, I hate to even say it this way, but number two, TED Talk. It's got to be number one soon, Simon. It's got to be close now. Uh, he's blown up the internet on multiple occasions, but there's a uh, there's a millennials uh, speech that's just gone you know, bonkers, and hundreds of millions of people. Uh, and and really, I feel a sort of kinship between essentialism and the start with why uh, movement. Uh, so I'm so looking forward to this conversation, Simon. Welcome to the What's Essential podcast. Thanks for having me. What's something essential to you right now that you're underinvesting in? Oh, that's a good question. Um, uh, for me, it's about the essential for me that I'm underinvesting in is is the pursuit of art, and I don't mean the buying of it; I mean the seeing of it. Hmm. You know, uh, COVID clearly put a big damper on that. Um, um, but there are other ways to pursue art and see it and make it. Um, and I, I like making art, um, and I like the process even sometimes more than the result. Um, and I miss it if I'm honest. And so I think, I think that's something I, that, that I, that I could put more time and energy into. There were a few elements of your answer. One was seeing it, one was making it. What do you wish you were seeing? Well, I think, I think, I think they're inextricably linked, right? I don't think I can... I need inspiration, which comes from seeing how other people interpret the world. And, and then I make things and that inspires me to go see things, which then inspires me to make things. And so I think, I think, I think it's a virtuous circle. So to say which one is more important, I think if I start with either one, the other one will follow. I've been thinking a lot about this recently, about how it's difficult to even get clear about what you want, what you want without interaction with the people that matter to you. That, there's, that, that it's hard even, in my estimation, to find a thing that is truly independent. You know, the things that seem independent, once you get into them, 
really interdependent. Uh, have you found that with helping people find their why, that it's an inherently interdependent process, or is it something you think people can find, you know, really on their own? You know, I'm not going to be pig-headed about it and say you absolutely cannot do it alone. But I think it is very, 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 very difficult to do alone. And it's because none of us are objective about ourselves. And when, uh, and when you're asking someone for help, I tend to recommend to people not to ask a sibling or a parent or a spouse because those relationships are so close that sometimes they think they know better than you do and also lack objectivity. Mm. Um, and so sometimes working with a stranger is wonderful because they bring nothing to the table except you, except the data you give them. Um, but a friend works just fine. Someone who wants to help you or a colleague who, 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 who wants to help you find your why. But in, in my experience, um, asking for help to find your why is, is much easier and, and much more rewarding and probably much more accurate. I, I, I you know, yeah, I, I, I think that there'd be an extreme kind of personality or maybe a near-death experience that would help somebody have that kind of objectivity. But otherwise, uh, I think asking for help is the way to do it. And again, learning one's own why requires help. You know, finding out who you are requires support from others. And then what you discover about your why is that you actually live in service. All whys are, are selfless. You know, all whys are about contribution. Every single one of them. And, uh, and I like that. Uh, it's it's the value we provide to the world. It's the value we provide to, to to the people in our lives, and the rub is that the thing we give to the world is also the thing we need the most, and that's the difficulty of living, uh, you know, of starting with why. Can you unpack that a little bit? Sure. So my why is to inspire people to do the things that inspire them, so together each of us can change our world for the better. Right. That's what I give to the world. When I ask my when I talk to my friends, like the greatest compliment someone can give me that gives me goosebumps is you inspired me. You know, mm. uh, uh, the, the word inspire like lights me up. I want to have, I would have that tattooed on my body. You know, I would have it permanently connected to me. That would make me feel fine. Um, um, uh, but at the same time, I need inspiration. I need to be inspired. So the thing that I give to the world is the thing that I need the, the most. So, you know, depending on whatever your why is to support others. So that dot, 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 you know, m those people more than must be supported, you know? And that's the hard thing about about the why it is a it is a it is a it is a contribution, but it's also a, a deep seated need. Um, mm. So you have to you have to be able to be the one who helps, but ask for help as well on, for the same thing. Yeah, I mean, in a sense, you're saying that the clearer you are about your why, you know, getting clear about your why is one decision that makes a thousand decisions, because it all coalesces together. In your own life, it does because you can keep making decisions that are consistent, but it's this interdependent experience that you're adding to that, which is that people will be attracted. The right people will be attracted to you. The wrong people, so to speak, will not be. They'll say, well, that's not for me, uh, you know, and, and, and they'll go their own way. I, I remember when I was at business school, we went, I was in a class with uh, called the Strategic Management of Nonprofits, and everyone was asked to identify and name their well, they would, our, our task was to go away and find a couple of vision and mission statements from, from various nonprofits, come back, and we were going to share that with the class. So you've got maybe 70 people in the class. So there's, you know, there's like 140 of these, and we start reading them. And it, it basically makes people laugh because they're either so general, you don't know what they mean. You know, they're just sort of corporate speak. 
or sometimes they would be clear, but so unachievable. You'd have like a seven person organization that would say, well, we're going to you know, solve world hunger. You know, and everyone just like, no, that isn't what you're going to do. So that's not real. And then somebody said, well, you know, I've got Brad Pitts here. And because of the sensation in the classroom, everyone was sort of laughing by this point. And they read it out. They said, you know, the, the intent of our organization is to build 250 storm-resistant homes in the 8th district of New Orleans by this date. <laughs> and it just took the oxygen out of the room because everybody knew in that moment that that was real that that was clear, you would know, and this is what made me think of it from what you were saying, you would know sitting there whether that was an organization you wanted to work with. You'd know if you were the most junior person hired there, how to help. You'd know whether what you were doing was supporting or taking away from the mission, even if you were trying to do something good. Yeah. But that type of clarity, my goodness, I think it's the rarest thing in the world. Your thoughts? Yeah, it's, that's finite though, right? It's eminently achievable. And then what happens after they achieve that goal? Do they, shut, do they shut the doors? And they may say that. That may be the case, which is they may say we have a finite goal, which is once we achieve this, our mission is over and we'll shut the doors. However, if they have a more infinite vision, you know, um, um, they may say we believe everyone uh, on the planet um, um, should have a place, a safe place to live. I don't know, right? And... Mm -hmm. The way we're going to do it is first by building 250 homes in the 8th district of New Orleans, right? And so you can see there's a, there's a driving belief and that they've picked a very realistic goals to, uh, goal to advance that belief. And up, at upon achieving that milestone, we expect them to choose another milestone and another milestone and another milestone. And maybe those milestones will get bigger and bigger as they become more recognized and better funded. Um, but all the, way, all the time being driven by an infinite pursuit that is for all intents and purposes unachievable. And so, you know, it's good to have finite goals. It's important. And they have to, they, they, they have to be grounded in some sort of reality, even if they, even if they push us and stretch us. But, but the context within which those visions exist, you know, again, unless the organization is, is a finite organization, which is upon achievement, we will shut the doors, which is totally mm -hmm. fine as well. Yes. But I have to believe that those who are driven by cause, um, that those who are there are attracted to a higher Higher, higher, and maybe, and maybe the people who joined, you know, somebody was working in homelessness. But so, in other words, that underlying belief that everyone deserves a safe home to live attracted them. But then the thing that they're actually working on is building houses in the Eighth Ward in uh, uh, in New Orleans, uh, the Eighth Parish in New Orleans. That they're like, oh, I, that definitely advances my cause, even though I'm not doing the thing that I used to be doing. Um, so I, I, I think, I think yes. It's both. It's both. Yeah, Correct. you're saying you need an infinite vision plus a metric that's. But the infinite vision, clear. the infinite vision is not we're trying to build a home for everyone in the world, because that's stating it as a goal, right. which is to your point completely ridiculous and unachievable, right? Mm. But to say we believe everyone deserves a safe home to live in means we are doing a part of that work, and we expect others to do a part of that work. I I, I spoke at a, at a at a conference of all of the heads of development for for, I don't know, 1,000, 1,200 charities, who knows what, right? And mm -hmm. I remember I came out on the stage and I said, um, uh, my, part of my opening remarks were, at least 50% of the people in this room, your organizations deserve to go out of business. Mm. Because you've completely mm -hmm. forgotten the plot, you've become obsessed with money, um, and worse, you refuse to work with each other. 
Like explain to me why two organizations that believe in stamping out cancer don't cooperate. Explain that to me. You claim to be in the do good business and that you literally see the other, the other group as your competition. And we accept that there's a finite amount of money and we accept there's a finite amount of, and so you literally are trying to steal people away for your fundraising event away from their fundraising event. Why not work together? Doesn't that make more sense to help stamp out cancer? But it goes back to the conversation we had before about those personalities where they forgot, they forgot the plot and they made it about themselves. So too do so many not-for-profit organizations forget the plot and make it about themselves. You know, there's that charity navigator website that I love that, help, that grades charities. And it's, it's astonishing how many charities that are pretty well, and again, we shall, they shall re- remain nameless, but mm. I know who some of them are. They're very well-known and well-recognized charities that such a small percentage of the money raised actually goes to the cause they're trying to advance. And they get poor grades, um, uh, uh, deservedly. You know, and the question is, they become self-licking ice creams. They, they become more interested in their own survival rather than, in, than, than, than advancing their causes. This episode is sponsored by Shopify. Selling a little or a lot. <coughs> Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. So whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person point of sale system, whenever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. So sell more with less effort, thanks to Shopify magic, which is your AI powered all-star. In my experience with every business that I have built, including this podcast, there are breakthrough moments and those moments are often the result of finding the right partner. And I think that's a way to think about Shopify because no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Greg, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Greg now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Greg. Self-licking ice creams. I haven't heard that before, but it's an interesting idea. What else are you doing to make this vision real for you? I think that anybody who's trying to advance anything has to be willing to um, take a deep breath and blow it up every now and then. Mm. And to some, COVID was that mechanism that blew it up for them if they didn't have the courage to do it themselves, which Mm. allowed for reinvention. Was, Was that true for you? Um, we, uh, yes, that was true for our business. Yeah. I mean, it must've been, yeah. I mean, I'm sure it was because I, I mean, assume most of our money came from live, live events, live events, workshops and things, and workshops, yeah. even keynotes all, to all some extent. So all of COVID blew that up, of course. And, yeah. and it was an amazing opportunity to say, great, well, let's take advantage of everything that's available now that we weren't taking advantage of before and let's make it even more scalable and let's get the message out even more, you know, and that was a great 
a great opportunity. But for me personally, it's different, right? So, uh, and so I, I look back at my own career and there's a funny pattern that like I started in advertising and I did really well and got promoted. And then once, once I reached a level where it was like boring, I quit. Yep. And I'd go work some shitty account at some lesser agency and I'd, it'd either work or it won't and I'd build it up or it would fail. And I'd be like, all right, and I'd leave. And I remember I left a very, very, uh, I left Ogilvy and Mather, you know, which was at the time one of the yeah. greatest, most respected agencies in the world. Yeah, I've done work with and, Ogilvy. And, uh, I le- and I was on, some, and, they, and, and they, when I decided to leave, they offered me all these illustrious accounts, you know, IBM, American Express, Kodak. They said, Simon, you can work on any, any one of these you want. And I went and worked on a, for a lesser agency on a, wasn't a glamorous account, Oppenheimer funds. I mean, mutual funds, really, mm-hmm. you know? And nobody could understand why I wouldn't take the offer to go work on these glamorous accounts to go work on this sort of uh, less glamorous account. That was, um, and, 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 I, and I explained to them because all the good, all the heavy lifting's already been done. Like, you're going to give me a job where I get to do maintenance, you know? Mm-hmm. And I don't want to do maintenance. And, and so I, I took risks with my career and it didn't always work out, by the way. Um, but I took risks with my career when I, when things were going really well, I'd leave and start over again. And, um, and I'm in that process right now. Mm -hmm. Um, the way I was doing things and the way I think I want to do things, and I don't have perfect clarity as to what will come next. So I'm in a position of discovery and and reinvention, which Mm -hmm. is, um, exciting and nerve wracking. But when you ask specifically about the sacrifice, the sacrifice is pace. Right, I necessarily have to slow down and pull back before I can speed up again. Um, I got to find my footing and I got to find the vehicle. You know, in other words, if 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 I'm trading, if I'm changing from this car to that car, I have to stop the car, get out of this car, and get into that car. And I'm losing. Like I could be racing down the highway, and I'm not. I've and I'm stopped. Right. Uh, it's like when people, you know, are on long car journeys and they like to keep track of, of how long it takes, you know, stopping for gas, you want to do it as quickly as possible because you, you destroy the time, you know, 20 minutes of standing here. It could have been, how many miles could I have driven in 20 minutes, you know? And that's, and I, I do that knowingly. So what I've sacri- what I, I'm, I'm in a position right now of trying to figure out which car to get into. And I'm fully aware that I'm not racing down the highway. So people ask me, you know, what are you, what are you writing? And the answer is I'm not writing anything, you know? Mm-hmm. And they're like, you're not, I'm th- you're not writing anything? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not thinking. writing anything. You know, I'm, I'm thinking and I'm putting together patterns and I'm trying to find, and, and so the sacrifice, you know, there's an expectation that when you have a certain, um, when you're in a certain level in your career that you have to maintain that pace all the time. Mm. And I think that's, that's, a, that's where I think people get into trouble. Um, where either the work gets stale or they get tired, and then either way, it's going to collapse. Um, and so I think the challenge of reinvention, and this goes for individuals as well as organizations, um, is such a good one and so necessary because the world changes and we have to change with it. We have to adapt. We have to find new ways, better ways, you know, more fun ways, more efficient ways, whatever it is to spread our message, to advance our cause, um, that keeps us interested and keeps those around us interested. Um, and I think people are afraid when you're running on a hamster wheel, 
you think it's you who's setting the pace and sometimes you don't realize that you're just trying to keep up. <laughs> and the fear of yes. being off the hamster wheel is, is, is horrible. Um, so yeah, so my sacrifice right now is, is, uh, is pace. I relate to everything you're describing here. Uh, first of all, the necessity to blow up success at a certain point in the cycle. Uh, I, I'm thinking of all sorts of examples of that. Uh, I'm thinking Steve Jobs when uh, when he comes back to Apple and there's like a, a veritable museum at Apple with all of their greatest hits, you know, the the original Mac and and the mouse and all of these things that that are really genuinely impressive. Uh, and he takes them all and he donates them, I think, to Silicon Valley Museum. Uh, but he just literally gets rid of them all so that as a signal to everybody, it doesn't matter what we did before. It really could hold us back in enormously if we keep thinking about that and if we keep trying to replay that or if we use that to make ourselves feel good that we've done good things. And so the innovation you know, now is less important and and all of that. So I think that that's sort of one level of, of alignment. Um, I mean, that's what, that's what you're trying to do. It sounds like it's somewhat of necessity, but it's of a, it's not like necessity, you know, necessarily that somehow the, the, the customers or the people around you are saying, Hey, listen, it's time for something new. It's your own internal sense of this feels, you, you use the word stale. So I don't want to now, you know, double down on that. That's not the right word, but, but it's a sense within you, within you that you say, this isn't, this, I'm living on a momentum from somewhere before, and I need to make decisions now to create a new wave of momentum, it's, a new it, phase of what I'm trying to do. It's a choice. And it's, it's, I don't, I don't, that choice, I, 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 it's done without judgment. And what I mean is if other people make a different choice, I think that's fine. They both have value, right? Um, this is a choice I've made for my life or my career, but I don't judge the choices that other people make for their lives or their careers. Like I said, they both have value. They're different kinds of value. And so after I wrote Start With Why, I could have serialized it. I could have done Start With Why for you know, veterinarians and Start for With families. Why for teens and Start With Why for families. And, and I could have kept writing Start With Why books and sold a lot of books and, you know, built an enterprise of start with why. And, and, you know, even when, when start with why came out, people called me the why guy, you know? And, yes. And uh, you didn't want that. No. And, and so, because it would have fixated you there. It would have kept and again, you there. I don't, for those who have made that decision and serialized their own work, very often the reason it got serialized is because it's good work. Sure, and then there was demand for all the all of the verticals and variations. And I know there's demand for verticals and variations for my work. I mean, on our website, we offer um, find your why courses, and we have done them in verticals because we we have practitioners from those verticals. So we have start with why for healthcare, and start with why for teachers, and start with why for for artists, because that way the room is filled with people like you as you're looking for your cause. Like we've we've done that, you know. So and and because there's but. But I never serialized the work um, because that was a decision I made. I wanted to learn new things. And I remember, you know, when I wrote Leaders Eat Last, my publisher showed me the designs for the cover and it looked exactly like Start With Why. It's like, mm. Leaders Eat Last. 
you know, and I was like, wait, why is this? It's a completely different book with a completely different idea set. Why are you making it look the same? Like, well, Simon, you know, this is how we keep, a, we build a brand. I'm like, nah, man, that's not how you build a brand. You know, making my cover look the same. But even the publishers are tempted to serialize it, you know? And so I, you know, one of the nice things about having success from one book is I get to say, no. <laughs> I had very little say on the cover design of the first book, but the second book. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so, so yeah, so I wanted it to be entirely different. And like, there's, I, and there's a, there's a couple of funny little things that only I know, but they, they they make me smile, which is every book I've published is a different size. So mm-hmm. none, none of them stack up next to each other neatly. You did that deliberately. Yeah. Every book is a different size for a different reason because a different size has a different feel, right? So find your why is big because I want it to feel like a workbook because that's what it is, right? And uh, 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 Infinite Game is long. It's a longer uh, book because I want it to feel more like a manifesto. I've noticed what you're describing. Yeah. I didn't know it was deliberate. Yeah, it's deliberate. Leaders Eat Last is like a fat book because it's a dense sort of pursuit you know, start with why is a, is a relatively small size because I wanted it to fit under your arm and throw it in your briefcase. It, it's not. A, it's not. It's not to be put on a shelf and 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 kept behind glass. It's supposed to be used and abused and dog-eared. You know, um, uh, together is better is is horizontal because it's a sweet little book inspired by a children's book. I mean, they're mm-hmm. they're all different for different reasons. Mm-hmm. And like I was thinking about something new, a new project, and I was like, okay. What is, and I'm, it's not gratuitous. Like if, if, I, if I realize it needs to be the same size as one of the others, I'll do it. It's yeah. always based on whatever the book's trying to communicate that I try and match the feel, the size of the book to the, the feeling of the book. But yeah, I can't, but I, but you know, it's only I knew that. I guess more people know it now. Uh, <laughs> but uh, because for me, it's, it goes back to um, intention, which is I want, like I said before, I want the book to feel like what it is, you know? And these are subtle little things that most people won't recognize, but they would know if it wasn't there. Like if I made, if I made uh, start with why a fat book, it would, it wouldn't feel right. Cause it's, it's not that kind of book, you know, mm-hmm. or if I made um, uh, infinite game more, more squared, it's not, it's not how it is, you know? Um, so yeah, it's same with color and touch. All of them have uh it's it's called I forgot what it's called, but it feels more like skin than 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 paper, because yeah, I wanted yeah. I wanted all my books to have humanity to them, you know. Mm-hmm. And so the new books, Leaders Eat Last and Infinite Game, they both they both have this they called soft touch on the cover, because I want it to feel have a humanity to it. I mean, silly little things like this. Yeah, but you say silly, but it's being deliberate and thoughtful about the choices that you're making and the trade offs that you're making so that you don't just get stale, so that you don't just live in momentum. I mean, I remember Bill Gates saying that success is a very poor teacher. And and I think that's, that at least to me feels aligned with what you're saying, because instead of just doing what success tells you to do, okay, more of what I've been doing, more of the same things, you, you have to go back to clarity. You have to go back and say, what is this really about? What, what am I really supposed to do next? What is the right thing to do? And you, you're guided not by, not even by the momentum, which is very easy to be guided by momentum. Uh, and instead you're saying, okay, let's go back. 
you know, what do I feel is the right thing to do? What does my conscience counsel me to do? What is the right next thing for me to do? I think there's some elements of truth. I don't know what to do, but I do know what not to do. Yeah. And, and what not to do is what I was been, what, what I've been doing. Right. Um, and, um, you know, uh, and this is where the danger of defining yourself by your work, you know, which so many people do, which is our identities become tied to the job we do. So, mm-hmm. so I am a public speaker. So does that, right. so what happens if I stop speaking publicly? What happens right. to my identity? Well, I, again, I've been aware of that for a while. And so if you notice, I, whenever I blurb a book, every time it says Simon Sinek, optimist and author of, because I never want to be defined by what I've done. I want to be defined by who I am. And regardless of if I stop speaking, stop writing, stop doing any things that you know, people may know, my, know me for, um, I'm always an optimist till the day I die. And so um, I am, because I made decisions a long time ago to define myself by who I am, not what I do. And um, it, it allows me to, it allows me the freedom to stop doing anything I've done. So I'm, you know, I, I could stop public speaking. I could stop writing books. And that doesn't mean I won't spread my message. It means I'll find new ways to spread it. Um, but uh, I, that's a scary thought for some people, for a lot of people, because accidentally they've commingled their identities with their, with their work. I am a lawyer. I'm a doctor. So if you retire from being a doctor, who are you? Yeah, totally. You know, um, and you see this a lot. You see this a lot with very successful people, which is they're so intertwined with their work that when they retire, or the, 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 they have an identity crisis, or, and they try and live in live in the past. Remember when I did that? I was the first person to do this. I was the first person to do that. Well, that was thirty years ago. Well, well, and and just connecting all the dots here, it you'd said a moment ago that that this could be scary for people. You know, someone might find this sort of a terrifying proposition to, to blow things up before they have to, to um, and, and so on, as if it isn't for you. And, and I just want to challenge that a little bit because what I sense in you is, one, that it does make you feel quite comfortable. There is a part of you that goes, yes, I, this is the way I do it. This is what feels right to me. This is what the... the the demon says not to do, and I'm following it, so I have that. So there is something that feels quite at peace as I'm listening to you. But the second side of it is that doesn't mean that it doesn't require courage. It, it, you know, it does require courage. It, it is requiring courage, and I can sense that in you as you say, oh, I don't have the answers. I just know I'm not going to just carry on doing what I've been doing. Uh, so I'm, I'm making that choice. It does require courage. Innovation requires courage. And, uh, and, and, and I, I personally relate to it. Um, I, I, <laughs> I say that I'm sort of going through a renaissance in my life right now. And my, my teenage children are like, I think you might mean midlife crisis. And, uh, uh, and, I, and I, don't know, I don't know exactly who's right or who's wrong with it. But, but I know that sensation many times over in my life of blowing something up. That's too negative of a connotation, but definitely saying I'm not going to continue doing this even though it's successful. It, so, it, it, I mean, you can, we'll you, you can be more romantic about it than blowing it up. It's changing roots. You know, 
Um, but but you know, don't give me too much credit. The the you know, courage is not the absence of fear. You know, courage is being yeah. afraid and acting anyway. Yeah. And then it raises the very interesting question: Where does courage come from? Yeah. And I do not, for one minute, believe that courage is a deep internal fortitude. You dig down deep and find the courage. You know, I don't think that's the case. You know, um, I think courage is external, where you have the courage to jump out of a plane because there's a parachute on your back. Like it's the external thing that gave you the courage to jump out of the plane. You know, um, it, it, so you know, there's not a foolishness to reinvention. It's not gratuitous. Um, you know, a, a, a world famous trapeze artist would never try a brand new death defying act for the first time without a net, no matter mm-hmm. how skilled they are. It's the net that gave them the courage. Because when you push boundaries, necessarily you're going to fall. And so the courage to reinvent requires really good relationships. And I would not be able to do or have done any of the reinventions or challenges that I've put to myself without a group of people around me who say, we believe in you, who say, if everything goes south, we'll still be there with you. We got your back. You got to do this. Because the days I hesitate, they go, you have to do this. Mm. You know? And it's the, it's, the, it's the quality of the friendships and the quality of my, my business partners and my team that give me the courage to change routes, blow it up, find a new direction, stop the car, whatever analogy we want to use. Um, and if I didn't have them, I wouldn't do it hmm. because it would be just too overwhelmingly scary. And I do not think... I think the number of people who have courage to act without um, the love and compassion of those around them, the safety of those around them, it's probably more foolish than courageous. Yeah, I, I, I really concur and I love that. And it makes me think about the times that, that I have blown up the, the path of the success uh, deliberately. And, and as soon as you say that, I think about the people that, were there, even if I didn't really think about it at the time, uh, the support system, the support group, and how vital it is to create that kind of uh, community and network if you possibly can. Um, Simon, it's really been fun to talk today, uh, and I have uh, I valued your 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 openness, and and I I am so genuinely curious and interested to see what the inner the the what will come next uh and and what the invention will be well that makes two of us (laughs) (laughs) simon sinek thanks so much for being on the what's essential podcast thanks for having me take care of yourself take care of each other ladies and gentlemen we come to that time again the end of the show and i say most sincerely thank you really for listening Thank you for being a part of this ongoing movement to not just go on in our lives, but to get to what's essential. If you can think of someone who could benefit from the message of today's podcast, please share the podcast with them. If you find any value at all in the podcast, please take a moment to write a positive review on Apple iTunes. I read those reviews and... I'm going to be selecting one person every month from among them randomly to receive a free membership in the What's Essential podcast. 
That's a $300 value. You'll have it for free. You get access for a whole year to scores and scores of to specific masterclass quality videos to be able to help support you in your journey of what matters. And really, to me, the opportunity to be able to talk with you, to share these ideas with you, that matters. That's essential to me. That goes to the very deepest place of my why. Thank you for listening. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.